the Philippines. So if you guys would come up, Jim and Lori and, and um, Jenny and Sammy and Jamie, and I want us to pray for them before they leave. And, uh, of course, uh, many of you know the Leachman family. Uh, they've been a part of our church uh, really ever since the beginning, since we were very, very young and been actively involved, and the kids have grown up in the church. Jamie, come, come over here. So, and, uh, and Jamie spoke a, a few Wednesdays ago about her ministry uh, that um, she went to the extension campus uh, there and then to the orphanage. And uh, so they're going to be leaving on Friday, and uh, they are going to be going to where uh, Jamie's going to be uh, ministering at Calvary Kids uh, there in the Philippines. And uh, she's going to stay. She's going to be there full time. So we want to continue to pray for her. And uh, we're going to have means that if you want to send any kind of support to be able to do that. And uh, we'll have that information uh, given to you uh, if you so desire. So we're going to be supporting her as a church. But the family is going to go out there, Jim and Lori and Jenny and Sam. And I'm so glad you guys are going to go out there to see her the ministry that she's involved in, what she's going to be doing. So it's a long trip. We want to pray for them. They're going to be coming back in a couple weeks, and uh, but we want to lift them up in prayer. Also, I want to just remind you that we had uh, Rachel and Isaiah, uh, Juana Karina and Harley Lowe that left for Costa Rica on, what day is it? Tuesday, yesterday. And they're going to be gone till next week. So you want to continue to pray for them. And you saw the slides up front uh, praying for those that are now in the mission field. And the Leachmans definitely, uh, as they're leaving on Friday, uh, be praying for that group that went to uh, Costa Rica as they're ministering there. we got Jake that's out in London and in uh, parts of Europe that's ministering there. It's so exciting to just the opportunities that people have to be able to go from here out to the different parts of the world. So um, we're excited. The Lord is working. And uh, so if you'll stand with me, uh, let's pray for this very wonderful and precious family. As Father, we do come and we just lift up uh, the Leachman family to you. And it's something that they've been looking forward to. Uh, And I think about how Jamie, ever since she was uh, in middle school, desired to be in the mission field and serve you. And you have shown her in such a remarkable ways. We've heard her testimony, how you took her to the Philippines, how you have blessed her, how you've taken her to this this orphanage and where the kids are. And now, Lord, that she's going to be there serving those kids and serving you. And, Lord, as they make their way there, we pray for safety. We know it's a long flight, but, Lord, that um, it would seem to go by quickly that you would keep them healthy, the whole family, that you would just enlighten their eyes and, and Lord, just show them the things that you want to. And, Lord, that you would use them, not only Jamie when she stays, but as the rest of the family is there for the couple weeks. And, Lord, that um, we go with them in spirit. We desire that your hand be upon them and that you bless them. And, Lord, that you bring them back safely to us. We look forward to the things that you're going to do. And, Lord, I'm so thankful for this family that they have served here faithfully and blessed us and now they get to go overseas and and bless uh, those that you bring to them so may they just be open to your leading may you strengthen and guide them in everything and lord i do pray for isaiah i pray for rachel i pray for harley and the rest of the missionary team in costa rica right now as as they've had a good first full day there and and lord i pray that you'd bless them and continue to use them minister 
to who you bring to them and, and the gospel and, and the word of God and, and your great uh, promises and uh, the joy that we have in Christ, that you would just bless them and bring them back to us safely next week. And Lord, we pray for Jake that's over in, in England and Europe and going to Brussels and, and ministering. And, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you bless him as he's there for the month of July. And Lord, we know that all of us have a mission field. When we leave this place, go out this place we are missionaries we are to deliver light and truth to others whether in the workplace and to our families and uh, maybe out in the field and wherever it might be and lord that we know that we can be used of you so lord uh, we just lift all these things up to you we lift this family up to you and we just send them with great joy and it's in jesus name that we pray and all of god's people said amen amen all right thank you guys so High schoolers, middle schoolers, you're dismissed. They'll be upstairs, parents. We'll give them a minute to be dismissed. You can turn to Psalm 47 right now if you'd like, and we're going to continue in the book of Psalms. Thank you for also those of you who are bringing some things that the leachmans are going to be able to take toothbrushes, you know, um, other things that they're going to put in a suitcase and, and take there. And uh, so um, exciting, and we'll keep updating uh, the fellowship on how they are doing and how Jamie is doing uh, in the weeks uh, ahead uh, as Jamie is ministering there. So Psalm 47, as we continue through the Word of God tonight. Wednesdays we are in the book of Psalms. Psalm 47. Psalm 47, actually, there's a trilogy here. Oh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Jerry's back there just wanting to give a Bible to somebody who needs one. So you can follow along with this. Middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms, Old Testament, chapter 47. As I mentioned to you that this psalm was written when Hezekiah was ruling. Psalm 46, 47, 48, that trilogy, as I mentioned to you, of psalms that is believed that was written during that time. And during the time that Hezekiah was ruling, eventually what happened was the Assyrians came down and they surrounded Jerusalem and they were about ready to destroy Jerusalem when the Lord delivered them. So it is during this time that it is believed, many scholars, that this is when this um, psalm was written. You can read about Hezekiah in that event there in Second Kings chapters 18 and 19 and Second Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 32 when Shennacherib surrounded the city and threatened Hezekiah in the city. But let's begin to look at this wonderful psalm. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, O clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, Shalah, that pause there in verse 4. So the Lord's going to return, and he's going to put an end to all rebellion and war and wickedness. And that should, as we realize that Jesus Christ is going to come back. There's promises all throughout the scripture. Matter of fact, 
there's more promises concerning his second coming than there was concerning his first coming. And when he does come back, he's going to fulfill every dot and tittle, just like he did when he first came. All the prophecies concerning the life and, and ministry, the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are all fulfilled to the letter. And the second coming of Jesus Christ, the return of the Lord, we know all those events that surround him coming and establishing his kingdom, that those are going to be fulfilled as well. And so we can rejoice in that because the nations as we know it and the world as we know it is going to come to an end. And the Lord is going to establish his kingdom. One of the things that uh, if you're listening to Calvary Live today is um, every show kind of takes on its own theme. And today it was about the coming of the Lord and the millennium reign of Jesus Christ and the new heaven and the new earth. And there's a lot of confusion about it in the church today, what God's word has to say about it. People get confused about the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. They get confused about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ and then the new heaven and the new earth. And so going through the scriptures, we can see, we can sort all of that out. But we do know that the Lord's going to come for his church and what is called the rapture of the church. And then it's going to be the tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week, as it is more formally called, uh, where God is going to be pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And then at the end of that seven-year period, we know that he's going to come back with his church. We're going to come back with him. And that's when he's going to establish his kingdom. And as we read in Psalm chapter 2, that he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Uh, what are the nations that plot this vague, you know, and vain thing, trying to come against the Lord? And that's what's going to happen when the nations of the world turn against Jesus when he comes back, trying to keep him from coming back. And he will simply speak, as we know from Revelation chapter 19, and then he will judge the nations. He's going to restore the nation of Israel. And then he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And the great thing is, is you and I are going to rule and reign with him in the millennium kingdom. We will be in our glorified bodies, and we're going to be given duties, and we'll be given two cities, five cities, ten cities to rule over. And so what we do in this life has a lot to do, according to the scriptures, giving hints of that as we're rewarded and given responsibilities, as we're given crowns, as we will all stand before the Bayman reward seat of Jesus Christ. The parables that Jesus told about uh, being faithful to the things that are given to you now, that we are going to be ones, as the Lord will say, that well done, good and faithful servant, for you've been faithful over, you know, little things. I will make you ruler over minis. Come, enter into the joy of your Lord, and we'll be given responsibilities. And that just thrills me because it gives me a perspective, an eternal perspective that, that all of us are to have. And that is eternity is waiting for us. And that this world as we know it is not our hope, and it's going to come to an end. So that's what the psalmist is writing about, that the nations, you know, are going to be subdued by him. He is the king over all the earth. And then as we continue in verse 5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. So we should be praising the Lord with understanding. Under 
understanding that he's coming back, understanding he's saved us. Uh, it was a powerful passage that we went over on Sunday morning in Ephesians, you know, the first few verses. Our, our state that we were in before we were saved. We're in a state of spiritual deadness. And he has made us alive as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we can sing to him, sing praises, understanding that we are saved and that he has a wonderful future for us. He's going to bring those things to promise him ruling and reigning and we're going to rule and reign with him and so we have reason to worship and I pray that when we do every single day that we have that we would worship him in our hearts that we would worship him when we truly come here it wouldn't just be an exercise that we go through but I love just watching you guys worship just giving your voices and your hearts to the Lord and we are so blessed and we have reason to worship so here is he's encouraging the people to worship and then in verse 8 and 9, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. So he is not just the God of Israel, but he is truly God over all the earth. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And here we notice that they're the people of the God of Abraham. And as you read the book of Galatians, as you read the book of Romans, we know that Paul makes the case that who are the true descendants of Abraham? They're people of faith, you and I. For Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. As Paul's making the case that we're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Those are the, the, the spiritual descendants of Abraham. The true descendants of Abraham are those of faith. And so here the psalmist writing these things. But as we consider this psalm, I think it's important for us to once again just think about the time that this was written. You see, as you do read in, in 2 Kings uh, chapters 18 and 19, as you read 2 Chronicles chapter 29 through 31, what we read about is Hezekiah's reign. He was the 13th king of Judah. And it's about 716 B.C. He, it's only a few years after the mighty Assyrians had taken away the 10 northern tribes away captive. You see, about 732 B.C., those, those two and a half tribes that were on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, it was half of the tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben. They're over there. They get uh, taken off into captivity. And then a few years later, about 10 years later, they complete the captivity of the other nine, and, you know, or the other tribes that were there uh, in uh, the house of Israel. The, the 10 northern tribes taken off in, in captivity by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were brutal. Brutal. They were very, very vicious. And, and one of the things that the Assyrians were known for is torturing those that they took captive. And what they would do is they would torture people in, in various ways. Uh, they would uh, put fish hooks in their mouths, and they would drag them off into captivity. That's how brutal they were. So it's during, right after that time, here comes Hezekiah. He comes on the scene after his father Ahaz had been ruling in Judah. And Ahaz, he was a terrible king. 
He was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. Probably next to Manasseh, he did more harm spiritually for Judah than any of the other kings. And so the southern two tribes of Benjamin and Judah uh, that made up the house of Judah, they're still there. They're still intact. That's where Jerusalem was. That's where Solomon's temple was. But as we know that over time what happened is the Assyrians began to make their way towards Jerusalem. Well, here comes Hezekiah. He cleans up the the temple, uh, all the idols that his father Ahaz had put into the temple. And again, uh, it was Ahaz that uh, was full of not only uh, filling the land full of idols and encouraging the people to uh, continue in idol worship. He brought idols into the temple itself. And he actually closed off parts of the temple. And and one time, uh, he would go up and see the king of Assyria there in Damascus, and as he sees the king of Assyria, uh, the king of Assyria is worshiping this idol, and Ahaz looks at it and says, I like that idol. I think that's pretty cool. I'm going to make a copy of it and put it in a temple in Jerusalem. So it was a terrible time spiritually. Hezekiah comes on the scene. He's a godly king. He, he is a good king, probably uh, one of the best kings that Judah ever saw. And what he did is he took all the idols, as I mentioned to you, out of the temple. He cleansed the temple. He restored the priests and the Levites, their ministry, and worship. He restored, you know, the, the uh, provision for the priests and for the Levites. He began to send those out, the leaders out, and teach the people the word of God. He celebrated Passovers, and it was such a great Passover that even some of the remnant that was at the house of Israel up north, that some of those people came down and celebrated with the house of Judah Passover. So it was a great time spiritually. And as he also, what he did was something very important. He removed the high places. He removed the high places. You say, so what? Here's the thing. Some of the good kings of Judah... They did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but there's a little comment that is made, and that is some of them did not remove the high places. The high places were those places that when Judah was involved in idol worship, that the people would go to the high places and they would worship those idols, the wooden groves. They were places of not only false worship and practices, and there was all kinds of false practices that Judah had been involved in. I mean, they were involved in not only false idols worshiping them, but occultic kinds of practices. They were even sacrificing their own children in the arms of Moloch. That's how bad it was. And Hezekiah, he removes all those places where those things were done, where there was no more temptation. That's why it was important. Hezekiah said, we're going to remove it. I don't want to give any place of temptation for the people to go back and do those things once again. You see, it's really important in the day in which we're living in that we remove the high places out of our hearts and out of our lives. Those places, those things that are temptations to you and to me. Oftentimes I get the question, I I get emails, I get calls of people that are really, really struggling in the flesh. And and it's hard and it can be difficult and they feel like giving up. And they're very much convicted. And what I will tell them is, do you have any high places in your life? Is there any places of temptation that you need to get rid of? Old hangouts, Old, you know, habits that that you go and get involved in, looking at things that you shouldn't, participating in things that you shouldn't. Get rid of the high places in your life and in your heart. 
And that's what Hezekiah does. And it was a great time. It was a, a time of revival. It was a time of, of spiritual uh, renewal there at the house of Judah. And then in the 14th year of his reign, something happened. The Assyrians. The Assyrians, uh, they make their way into Judah. They begin to come against the fortified cities of Judah, and, and they come to Jerusalem. And this massive army surrounds the city walls of Jerusalem, and Shennacherib, the king of, of uh, Assyria, begins to hurl threats uh, there against Judah, against Jerusalem, against Hezekiah. He sent a message and, and he began to threaten Jerusalem. And initially what happened was when the Assyrians were fortifying the cities of Judah and it was Hezekiah that saw that, initially he did something and that he folded. He got scared. And what he did was he took some of the gold and the silver out of the temple and out of the king's palace and he, he gave it to the Assyrians as they're making their way closer to Jerusalem. And he said, please, I, I've done wrong. Uh, please turn away from me. Because he very much was afraid. You know, we see some of the things and we hear some of the things about what's going on in the Middle East today with ISIS and how they're torturing people and, and the atrocities and how terrible it is. The Assyrians were like that. They were even worse in some cases. So here is Hezekiah, he's afraid. And he was afraid that they would be destroyed and tortured and, and done away with. You see, in times of persecution and difficulty, there can be a temptation to fold spiritually, to begin to compromise. And it can happen with godly men and godly women. That's what happened with Hezekiah. He's trying to pay the, the, the enemy off. Turn away from me. Go away. Don't, don't come against us. And I think that we can learn from Hezekiah, especially in the day in which we're living in. Because you can try to appease the enemy. You can try to appease the world, to, to pay off the enemy, the world. But I'll tell you the truth on this. The enemy will take the goods in the world. But the enemy in the world is not going to stop coming after you. They're going to continue to come after you and me. And that's what Shernacherib did. He comes against Jerusalem. He mocks Hezekiah. He mocks the God of Israel. Who are you to, to trust in Hezekiah? How dare you rebel against me? Don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't trust in the Lord that he's telling you to do. And the people were very much afraid. And Hezekiah was afraid. And all of a sudden, I'll read it to you as we read from 2 Kings chapter 19. And in Chapter 19, verse 14. You can listen or you can turn there, 2 Kings chapter 19. As Hezekiah hears the threats, he knows it's not good. No other nation has been able to stop the Assyrians. They're flexing their muscle. It looks like that things are going down. And then it says in verse 14, And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. In other words, Shennacherib writes these things down. They send it to Hezekiah. He reads it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord. 
Lord, and see and hear the words of Shennacherib, which he have sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Interesting, the prayer of Hezekiah here. As he goes to the house of the Lord, he spreads out this letter, and, and he's fasting, and he's praying and along with the leadership, and they begin to pray, and they're putting their trust in the Lord. He knew that he had done wrong. He knew that he couldn't pay off the enemy any longer. And so he's crying out to the Lord that you, Lord, that you are the one, that you are the Lord of all the kingdoms of the earth, and you work, Lord, as this threat is coming against your people, that they may know that you are the Lord. It's interesting. When you read the book of Ezekiel, that same phraseology is used when it talks about future wars. When it talks about Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is yet future, which may be the next major war that we see in the Middle East, that we see that Ezekiel writes that those nations that the Lord is going to come against as they surround Israel and come in to destroy Israel, that God is going to defend Israel, his people, and he will destroy those nations, five-sixths of their armies, that they may know that I am the Lord. It's interesting, the same thing is said in Psalm 83. Perhaps that is a psalm that is speaking prophetically of a prelude to Ezekiel 38. We'll talk more about it when we get to Psalm 83. Hmm, what, in a couple weeks here? We're in Psalm 47. So we'll get there sometime this year. But we'll talk more specifically about it. And at the end of that psalm, it says that they may know, those nations that the Lord is going to deal with, that they may know that I am the Lord. The day is going to come, Psalm 47, that as we've read here, that they will realize that he is the Lord over the nations, that he is the Lord over all the earth. So Hezekiah, he realizes that, and, and there comes the prophet Isaiah, and he comes and he's got a message for Hezekiah, and he says, Hezekiah, uh, Shennacherib, the Assyrian army, they're not going to come into this city, an arrow's not going to come in, uh, they're not going to be able to, to mount a, uh, you know, a mound around the wall, uh, they're going to end up returning, and they're not going to come into this city, because the Lord is going to defend this city. The Lord is going to defend it. And then as you read the end of chapter 19 of 2 Kings, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpse all dead. So an angel comes and wipes out the army of the Assyrians, 185,000. Matter of fact, last week when we closed with Psalm 46, that some have suggested, again, Psalm 46, 47, 48, the triology of Psalms speaking about that time when the Assyrians came against Hezekiah and Jerusalem, that perhaps Psalm 46 and, and verse 9, that it's speaking of uh, what happened when the angel came and destroyed the army of the Assyrians. It makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. Perhaps that's what was taking place. But they looked out, and there's all these corpses. Shennacherib goes back home, and he ends up getting killed in his pagan temple. 
So here is God delivering Jerusalem and Judah. And we see that Hezekiah learned a very important lesson, and that is to trust in the Lord and to to look to the Lord. Listen, the reason I'm going over this background is not just to give you a history lesson. I think there's some very important implications for us, especially after the weekend we celebrated our nation's birth. And people have been calling and people have been asking and you're probably engaged in some discussions among other Christians or, or others that are just talking about it. All the things that are taking place around us, the events that are taking place all around the world, it seems like things are, are spinning out of control. We're seeing the financial upheaval that's taking place in Europe and Greece and in China and, and what's going to happen and, and what's going to take place. Uh, we see the upheaval that's happening spiritually and morally and, and certainly we're concerned for our own nation. And then we learn of, you know, and we talk about and we ponder uh, what's the implications concerning the Supreme Court decision that constitutionally protects same-sex marriage. What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to those who stand for the biblical definition of what marriage is? And so what does it mean for us? And as we look at it, you know, it's interesting. Some of the discussion is, you know, is it a big deal? I mean, the recent decision that the Supreme Court made, or are Christians just overanalyzing it? Or are they just blowing this up? I personally believe it is a big deal. It is very much a big deal, and I'm very concerned about it. And if you've been here any length of time, you know I love this nation, just like you do. And this is a great nation. But we are a nation that we continue down that road of just moral and spiritual, you know, um, decline, and it continues to do that. And the path that our nation is on is very concerning to where there could be some serious impacts on us as Christians, already has, and the church. And as we are concerned about those things, you know, we need to be praying. What's our nation, the direction it's going, the state that we're in? What about the concern for the church, which I'm very much concerned for the church as well? And I believe that the recent court ruling is already having widespread implication for Christians who hold to the biblical definition of marriage. They're being taken to court. They're being fined. They're in danger of losing their businesses. Some have already, and their livelihood because they're being fined for holding true to what they believe what God's word has declared. And the court seems to be giving the federal government, you know, the opportunity to perhaps force Christians and others. It's not just Christians, but others like uh, Jewish rabbis and others that hold to and embrace, you know, the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman. You know, we've been looking at this as a church. And I want to say this, that our weapon is love and truth that we're going to love people enough to give them truth. We're not going to condemn them, but we are going to tell anyone who's in any kind of sexual sin or any sin at all who is apart from Jesus Christ, who is lost spiritually, that they need to repent and turn to Jesus, that he's our hope. And that message is for everyone. That message is for the world to be a light to them. 
But as we saw this coming, I remember about five, six years ago, what we did is I went to a pastor's conference and they said, listen, you've got to update your bylaws. You've got to update them to where you put specific language in there as you stand for, you know, um, not only the biblical definition of marriage, but also, of, you know, you've got to put in specific language about any kind of sexual sin that what the church stands for. And that's what we did. We updated it. We were ahead of many churches that, that were just, you know, not really doing that or paying attention to that. But is it enough? And it may not be enough. And I don't know what's going to happen. It's interesting that the guys are out at the senior pastors conference right now. And I'd like to hear what it is that they're talking about. And what I've heard through the grapevine and, and some rumors, and I haven't confirmed it or anything, but there are some evangelical churches and even some Calvary chapels that have said we're not going to do any more weddings at the church. We're done. And I don't know if that's true or not. And I think how sad it is because of being fined or, you know, losing federal tax-exempt status, whatever it may be. Now, there are those that are in the church that have the temptation to say, well, it's no big deal. Let's not make a big deal out of this. We're to be subject to the governing authorities. Well, we talked about that in our recent study of First Peter. Yes, we're to be subject to the governing authorities, but we have a higher authority, and that is God and the Word of God. And this ruling that has come out, we need to understand, Christian, that this ruling is in direct defiance of the Word of God. You see, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 4, when the apostles, in the earliest days of the church, that they were spreading the gospel, and as they were spreading the gospel, they were arrested by the religious council, the, the ruling authorities there in Jerusalem. And in chapter 4, as, as uh, they said, Do you stop preaching the name of Jesus. Stop, you know, speaking the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, chapter 4 of Acts, verse 18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot but speak to things which we have seen and heard. In other words, we're speaking about Jesus. We're speaking about that he healed this man that, that was healed there at the temple. We're not going to stop speaking and then uh, they were arrested they were beaten and and then an angel comes and lets them loose and what do they do do they run and hide no they're early in the morning back at the temple preaching Jesus so they rearrest the apostles and and when they had brought them as you go into chapter 5 uh, before the council the high priest asked them saying did we not strictly command you not to teach his name this name, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. In other words, what they're saying is, you filled Jerusalem with the name of Jesus Christ and with the gospel. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was said of us? That that Calvary Chapel, that those guys just go out and they just speak of Jesus in your workplace, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, over the airwaves of the radio. You know, here, as we gather every time that we fill this city, Weld County, with the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel message, even if it means that you and I are going to take a beating 
There's people coming against us. People coming down on us. People holding us out at arm's length. These guys, they, they did that. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree, and him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so after a while, as you read the end of the chapter, that what they did is uh, they called the apostles, beat them, and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so the apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Isn't that powerful? They didn't complain. They didn't murmur. They counted it an honor. You know, they, they praised God, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. So we have a higher authority, and that is the Word of God that is given to us. Listen, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm a Bible teacher. And if you've been here any length of time as we've gone through the Scriptures, we've talked about the days in which we're living in. And we know that Paul, some of the last words that he wrote that we have recorded in the New Testament that he said, the last days it's going to be perilous times. Second Timothy chapter 3. That evil men and imposters are going to grow worse. And then in chapter 4 he says, the time's going to come when they, he didn't say it might come. He said it's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desire, because they have itchy ears, they're going to heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. We... As Christians, our families and churches are going to have to make some very, very, very important decisions in the days ahead. Whether we, whether they are going to stay true to the Lord and trust Him. And remember as we read in verse 7 that God is the King of all the earth and God reigns over the nations. Are we going to stand true for God's word? Are we going to love others enough? As I said, our weapon is love and truth. To be a light. To be a light in the darkness that's out there because there's a lot of darkness that is out there. There's a lot of deception that is out there. And I believe we're getting closer to the return of the Lord. Oh, we are so close. I, I think, Lord, how much more can we go on? So what is it that we are to do? What's the implications for you and for me? Well, number one, we're to pray. We need to pray for our nation. Because personally, I believe if we don't change course, I believe soon, it's going to be bad news. Our nation is about ready to implode, and it's sad. Remember Psalm 32, verse 12, blesses the nation whose God is the Lord. You know, this nation was founded upon Christian biblical principles and belief. And now we have a leader that says we're no longer a Christian nation. And as we continue down this road of pushing God out of everything, out of our government, out of our schools, out of everything that we can, to where they're trying to silence Christians from being a light. Chaplains that they can't speak the, the name of Jesus anymore. 
It's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. That the hand of God is going to be removed. And it's not just a defiance of God's word that we saw you know, last week in the Supreme Court about same-sex marriage, but it has happened for years as we've seen that over since 1973 that 57 million children have been put to death, unborn children. And it's sad not only to see that take place as a direct defiance again of God's word, but the emotional and spiritual pain and suffering for millions and millions of women. And listen, if any of you have gone through something like that, there is forgiveness and there is God's grace and he loves you. I want you to know that. But I think of the millions of unborn children that have been put to death because of some unelected judges in the Supreme Court that made that decision just as they did last week concerning marriage. So here we need to be praying for our nation. Our nation getting further away from the Lord. We need to be praying for our leaders and the church needs to be praying for our leaders as well. We're instructed in God's word to do that. And so we need to pray for our nations, first of all. Second of all, we need to be praying for the church. Not only am I concerned about our nation, but I'm concerned about the church as well. Because when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church at large. The church in our nation. The church that's getting further away from the word of God. As I said, that there are those who uh, are saying, well, we're not going to talk about the subject. We're not going to bring it up. We're we're not going to make a big deal out of it. We need to stay true to God's word. We need to stay true to the gospel, even if it means that there's going to be some sort of persecution that will come to us. One of the things that you're going to hear is you're going to hear compromise. You're going to hear that don't be so intolerable. Don't be full of hate. Don't be, you know, one that's judgmental and all of this. Listen, I just want to give the truth of Jesus Christ and his word to others so they can be free, anybody from sin, whatever sin might encompass them, and experience Jesus and come to forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That's what we're to be about. But we can't do it if we compromise the gospel, that we're sinners in need of the Savior and God's word. And this is not a time to fold like Hezekiah did. We'll try to appease the world because the world's going to come right back at the church and the world is going to put pressure on the church and the enemy and we need to stand strong in the Lord so we need to be praying for the church you know one of the things that I'm starting to hear that I I see in the church is you know we believe in the inspiration the authority of scripture the inerrancy of scripture in other words that God's word is true so now you're starting to hear terms like I hear over and over again Limited inerrancy. In other words, that it's true, the Bible, and what it intends to say, but not always in what it affirms. In other words, eh, we can change it a little bit to fit society. Oh, limited inerrancy, where there's no major mistakes. The Bible is true to its core, but there are parts that are wrong. Well, who determines what parts are wrong? Society, yes. So those are the things that you need to be careful of and we need to be careful of. And again, stay true to the word of God. 
So what is it that we're to do? We're to pray for our nation. We're to pray for the church. We're to pray for each other. Pray for your family. Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Mom and dads, this is a time for all of us that are parents, grandparents, that our children need us to be strong in the Lord and to be godly examples. And we cannot live life anymore in just saying, well, spiritual things are not a priority or everything else gets in the way. We don't have time to pray for our kids. We don't have time to, to show them the scriptures, to have family devotions. We're busy right now. It's not the day to do that. And we got to do more than hope that I, I hope that they do okay spiritually. We need to be pressing in and we need to be protecting our homes from that which will come in and cause spiritual damage. We need to be talking to our kids. We need to make sure that spiritual things are a priority in our homes. And it isn't a legalistic thing that I'm talking about, folks. I'm talking about wisdom. Because if you don't make it a priority, guess who's going to come after them and be all over them? The world and the enemy to draw them into temptation to the high places. We need to get rid of the high places. And we need to make sure that they're growing in the word of God and we're talking to them about the things of God in these things that are coming all around us. And yes, we want to protect them. We want to be sensitive at the age that they're at, what we're talking to them about. But parents, the way it's going to start is that the Lord is a priority in our lives. And being in fellowship and being in a church that teaches the word of God and is strong. One of the things that I've been doing with people that have been calling in on the radio, you know, is, you know, they're struggling. I said, get involved in a church. Somebody called today. Well, how do I minister to somebody who doesn't like organized religion? Listen, the church is an organism. It's alive. And Jesus is the head of the church. He's the cornerstone of the church. He stands in the midst of the church, Revelation chapter 1. He loves the church. And you see, if the enemy can get any of us to be isolated, well, fellowship isn't important. Everything else is more important. And listen again, my heart on this. I'm not talking about you miss a Sunday, so you know what? Can you know, to condemn you and all of this. No, that's not it at all. But uh, there are so many distractions and activities that are out there. Listen, I've had parents that say, you know what, we're involved in these things. We won't see you for another six months. Because there's always something that's a priority. And I've had those same parents come back to me years later and said, that was a huge mistake that we made. Because our kids aren't interested in the things of the Lord anymore. It's not a priority, the things of the Lord. And we realize it's because they saw the example in us. That it wasn't a priority in us. Listen, I don't mean to come down on anybody or be condemning at all. I know that sometimes, our, you know, the kids get pulled into temptation and stuff. But we've got to make sure that we're doing our part in praying for them and teaching them. 
and keep praying and keep teaching. And yes, the enemy's going to go after them and get them firm, you know, a foundation of spiritual things. We cannot get sloppy and say it isn't important. And we're not going to be in fellowship. We're not going to be in church. Now, that isn't important. But to be in a place where you're being edified and encouraged, that's what blesses me about Wednesday night. Look at this place. It's packed. And I don't know what's going to happen as we see that there's a decline spiritually. There are some that suggest that, you know what, we may see a decrease in attendance. You may be teaching down to one service because people aren't interested in the things of the Lord anymore. But you guys are. That's why you're here. So I do feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. I, I think about all these young kids upstairs, and it blesses me and the children that you've brought here. Continue to do that. C- continue to keep it a priority in your life. And I think about, you know, I've been in ministry for 23 years, and over 23 years that I've seen it get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse spiritually, our nation and the church. And I think, what's it going to be like, you know, in the next 20 years? If the Lord gives me, you know, 20 years, that's not very long. But I think about some of the kids up there that want to minister, that they're going to be, if the Lord tarries, what's it going to be like for them in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years? How bad is it going to get? And it breaks my heart. And it concerns me. This needs to be a place where we stand for truth not in a prideful kind of way and look at us, but in a way that, you know what, you want to know truth, you want to be loved on by Christians, you want to receive the love of Jesus Christ because he does love you, eternal life, and have a message of hope, come here and get away from the world and the deception and the lies of the world. So we need to be praying, praying for our nation, praying for the church, praying for our families, Fourthly, what we are to do is we need to be discerning in the days in which we live in. And that comes by being in the Word of God. Again, I commend you for being here. And it needs to be that we're taking in all of the Word of God. That's why I've been committed to teaching the whole counsel of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. And it's going to help us be discerning in the days in which we're living in. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians aren't discerning in the day in which we're living in. Listen, it's not going to get rosier. It's not going to be better. It's not going to be lollipops and rainbows. It's going to be perilous times. And it's going to be difficulty. How much persecution will come? I remember hearing the guys, you know, 10, 15 years ago that persecution may come to this nation. I thought, ah, we're good. Now I'm looking at it and I think, are we even going to be able over the time, I pray that we do, I don't want to put undue burden on any of us, but I wonder, are we going to be even able to keep the doors open the way things are going? Are we going to be able to do weddings? How long before, you know, the fines or, you know, the radio program gets shut off, whatever it might be, it might be sooner than any of us can think. It can happen so fast and make our head spin. But I do pray for revival. And that can happen. Because not only are we concerned in the direction we're going, 
And we know that God will judge sin. But I also know that God is in the business of saving too. And he wants to save. And I pray that there would be revival, true revival that happens. And I'm not going to stop praying. This is a very unique time to minister. Very unique in the church age. That yes, things seem dark. I don't want us all going out saying, oh, it's so hopeless. And what a, you know, uh, a terrible time. We should be excited because you and I have opportunity more than ever to be light. And yes, it could be difficult. But we got brothers and sisters that are on the other side of the ocean in the Middle East that are standing firm for the Lord. And they're glorifying God in their death. And they're being martyred. And there are many that are coming to Christ because of that. And when do you see the church being strong in the scriptures? When they're going through persecution. Persecution. Listen, the days of, you know, convenient Christianity and consumer Christianity is going to go out the door here pretty soon. And as I said, Christians are going to have to make a decision whether they're going to stay true to the word of God, which brings me to the fifth thing. What is that you and I are to do here at Calvary Chapel? Stay the course. Stay the course. We're going to keep teaching the word of God. We're going to keep loving people. I pray that you and I as Christians, that we have a heart for the lost. That we see them, that we have a heart for them, and we want to see them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As I've mentioned, to love them enough to give them the true gospel, that we're all sinners in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And what I pray for us as we stay the course, that we would encourage each other that this is a place where we would encourage each other and build each other up because we are going to really need each other. There is no church that is perfect. This isn't heaven. But love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, we're a family, a family of the body of Christ. And the Lord desires for us to grow in our love for him and for each other. And that means to be long-suffering and be patient with each other, to be ones that go the extra mile, to talk, to encourage, to build up. That's what we need, and that's what I pray takes place so that when people out there come into this place, they say, wow, Jesus is here, and the truth is here, and the love of God is here through the people. I pray that we feel Greeley, Will County, with this doctrine of Jesus and him crucified. So let's keep doing what we're doing. Keep the main thing the main thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's be loving others, and let's be looking for the coming of the Lord and be discerning in the days in which we're living in, and you be a light. Let's all be a light out there. And then we come back into this place. We get fed, we get encouraged, and then we go back out. When we come back in, what are the days ahead exactly going to hold? I don't know. But we're going to pray. And we're going to pray that God just touches the hearts of many. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We could go on, but, Lord, as we consider the days in which we're living in, Lord, it can be difficult and hard to see. And, Lord, we want to be true to you. We want to be true to your word. And Lord, I pray for everybody that's here. I pray for our families that we would stand true for you. 
Lord, I pray that we would honor you, not deny your name, stand fast in your word, that we wouldn't try to compromise or appease the world or the enemy. But Lord, that we would know that you are the one that rules over the nations, over all the earth. And you're going to come back and rule and reign. Our world is not our hope. And as man comes along, defies the word of God and, and the will of God, that Lord, we're going to stand on your word. And I pray that you would help us as parents and grandparents, uncles and aunts, whoever that we might be, to be a godly influence to our children, our grandchildren, nieces and nephews, to, to others that we have opportunity to minister to. And Lord, that we would give them the love of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. I pray for this church, Lord, that we would stand true for you. I don't know what's going to happen, but you're the head of the church. And you promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And Lord, I pray that we would honor you in everything that we do, that we'd be humble before you, not prideful, that we would fear the name of the Lord, have respect and honor your word. And Lord, that we would in everything that we do, have a desire to please you. Lord, may we be a light to this city, really, to this community, to this state. I pray that we would, Lord, share the word of God with others freely. And Lord, that as we have means to get the word of God out there, whether it's through the webpage, whether it's through iPod, whether it's podcast, whether it's through the radio, that, Lord, that the gospel and the truth of your word would go forth in power. And, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. And, Lord, that we would trust in you. Father, I pray for this nation, this nation that we love so much. We're so thankful for those who put in their lives on the line to protect our ways of living, our freedoms. We're thankful for those who every day hear the first responders that are out to protect our communities and to do good. But Lord, we know that true freedom comes only through Jesus Christ. We know that, Lord, you're the one that frees us from sin are the one that blesses and exalts a nation whose Lord is the God. The Lord that you once again would be the, the God of this nation, that we would turn to you. We need you. We need your help because we're going in a direction so far from you. And as I read the book of Jeremiah this week, I could sense his heart almost more how he wept for his nation and we weep for our nation. So Lord, I pray for revival in our leaders, in our communities, in the church. And we would turn back to you. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us 
our defiance of your ways and your word. And Father, I pray for our young people. I pray that you would keep them strong. And Lord, that we would come along and encourage them and bless them. So Father, be with us and guide us in everything. Take us home. Lord, to be light tomorrow. To stand on your promises, to trust in you. And to know that you sit on the throne just as the psalmist proclaims. So Lord, thank you for this time. I do pray that if there is anybody that's here, maybe just here came in. I want to pray while we just got a, a minute. If there's anybody here you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. That you've never turned to him for salvation, forgiveness of sin. He is your salvation. There's no other. There's no other sacrifice for sin. Jesus came and died for all of us who are sinners. We're all lost. As we talked about Sunday, we're spiritually dead because of our sin. But Jesus has made us alive through his righteous act. He went to the cross and died for you because he loves you and wants to forgive you and have you spend eternity with him in heaven. Because he rose from the grave, he validated what he did on the cross. He said, it is finished, and now you come by faith. It's not of works, it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, lest any of us should boast. And you come as salvation comes by grace through faith, believing and trusting in him for salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to him, because the world is not your hope in the ways of the world. And it's going to come to a terrible end. Jesus is going to come and rule and reign and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom will you give your life to Jesus and you can pray right where you're at if you're listening on live stream or here in the coffee shop wherever that Jesus I come to you I know that I need you the gospel I am a sinner and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins I believe that you're the son of God who died for me on Calvary's cross. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you rose from the grave and you're alive. And so I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Sit upon the throne of my life, Lord. In Jesus' name. And after the service, I'm going to be here and I would just encourage you to come up and tell me the decision that you made or if you called on live stream to, to call in but I also want to pray for any of us here tonight that maybe the world's had a lot of pull on you maybe there's been compromise of some sort maybe you've tried to appease the world and the enemy but it's now the Lord has touched you and is speaking to you saying stand firm for him and I want to pray for you there needs to be a renewal a revival in your own heart a renewal of faith saying, I'm going to stand for you, Jesus. Help me. And I pray for those, Lord, who are praying that right now. I don't want to compromise. I, I want to make you a priority as a dad, as a mom, as a grandparent, as a man or woman of God. Lord, I want to be able to minister truth. I want to protect my home. I want to protect what comes into our home. I don't want to be involved in carnal, sinful things. I want to be a godly example. I want to live godly for you. I want to renew my faith in you and stand strong. Lord, I pray for those. 
and all of us to be strong of good courage. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word given to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Sunday.